I'm Jason from Smoking and Drinking in Space, a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. And I'm Rob from Smoking and Drinking in Capes, a superhero podcast from a couple guys who wish they had powers. And we're part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. And you can find other cool, awesome, geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 287 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we continue our podcast media host discussion, talking about the media host providing service, Pinecast. But first, in this week's Podnerings, topics include multicam video editing, podcast show analyzers, and I just love me some polywaves. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we appreciate some Discord server and YouTube comments, including a Bandrew Scott laughing moment. Lauren, start the show now. This is Better Podcasting. We are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Welcome to an all-new episode of Better Podcasting. I am Steven, and I am pleased to say SP is here this week. I am here this week. It was touch and go on whether I would be here because of whether Steven and I would let me be here. <laughs> yes, we are recording this today. It's a Friday, actually, of all days. Friday, the 23rd of February, 2024, which we usually stream the show on Wednesdays. But, you know, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. And so hopefully this following week, we'll be back to recording on Wednesdays. So if you do want to watch us when we record this live, you can check out the live version over at www.gunnageek.com slash live. We would love to have you over there when we record. It's usually on Wednesdays, like I said, at 4.15 p.m. Pacific time. That is 7.15 p.m. Eastern time and a bunch of other time zones. But I'm not going to do the math on that, are you? I was just going to ask, what's UTC? I need to know what UTC is. I don't know. You Figure need to tell me. What, I'm not getting, I asked Figure you to tell yourself. me. No. Come on. You can do it. No. All right. For our live audience, thank you very much for checking it out. Uh, we do actually have quite a few people there today. And if you are not in the live audience, also thank you for checking this out because we do love everybody's feedback who does comment. And if you didn't ha know about this, we are part of the Getting Geek Network and we are often on the Discord over on betterpodcasting.com slash discord. That is the Gunna Geek Discord. We have lots of awesome podcast conversation that happens over there. And if you are a podcaster and would like to tell us how you saved your podcast, please do come over there and let us know what went wrong with your podcast. How did you fix it? And we will turn that hopefully into a future segment of a How I Saved My Podcast episode segment. Said twice. Most hoppy podcasters have a how i save my podcast moment happens to all of us we like to share and learn from each other and occasionally we laugh at each other steven and i but we won't laugh at you we will though <laughs> tell your lesson learned of how you save your podcast in some cases the how i save my podcast is educational and introducing a new way to actually podcast or make sure that you save it and not run into problems. Back it up in some cases, right? 
So yeah, we would love to hear what you have. And also, Stephen mentioned that we will be bringing back last week, he mentioned that we will be bringing back the Hobby Podcaster Spotlight. There was some debate on the actual you know, Ks of, you know, light that is being used. Is it 5,000 Ks? It's 6,000. So we need you to help us answer that and get a hold of us at our email address or send Stephen a note and he will send you the questions and we'll get that on. That is the Hobby Podcaster Spotlight. Which unfortunately, I'm pretty sure I called the spotlight when we actually called this segment the Hobby Podcaster Profile, but it's the same thing. Ah, see, that's what was tripping me up. I was like, spotlight, where does that come from? Okay, profile. We'll we'll go with profile because we're profiling. No, 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 no. We're not profiling you. We're just giving your profile. So get in touch with us if you're interested in that as well. But come on over to our Discord. Send us an email. You can email podcast at betterpodcasting.com or find all of our contact information over at betterpodcasting.com slash contact. And let's get into the better podnerings. Yes, this is the Better Podnerings. This is the section of the show where we talk about some different podcast-related happenings, sometimes news, sometimes personal things with us. And we want to have your thoughts about that. Hopefully, it starts some conversation, maybe gives you a couple ideas. And otherwise, you can just hear us talk about random podcast things. And this random podcast thing we're going to start with today is about video. So since this is about video, this must be my point, right? No, it's not. It's SPs. (laughs) Surprise. Yeah, for those long-term listeners of Better Podcasting, I started doing video with podcasting right around Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 100, to be specific. And it's about the same time that we were doing this podcast, and then we transitioned Gonna Geek over to a video show. But I've been doing video and been trying to do it the hobbyist kind of cheap way. And, you know, the the I don't need to have a degree in video editing and that sort of thing. So I've been doing it a little at a time, getting to the point where Steven might actually send me to video editing school so I can learn the real way to do it. But in the meantime, <laughs> I, I have been using StreamYard to record now. It's been an evolution. Started with Blab and I'm all the way up to StreamYard now. And I have been enabling the multi-cam recording, not just the multi-audio recording or the multiple audio tracks, the local audio tracks recording, but now I've enabled the video editing as well, or the video recording as well. And I've been using it on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So a StreamYard allows you to multi-track audio and or do video recording. You essentially get the audio recording when you're doing the video. So either you do audio or you do video and audio. It's a choice. You either choose multi-track, yes or no, audio, yes or no, and then video, yes or no. It does tax slower connections and older, slower devices. My show on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. now is only about 20 minutes long, maybe stretch it to 25 minutes. So if a device is having a lag problem where it's not able to record, it runs out of memory, or it has problems uploading, it's only over the course of 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. So it's a little bit easier to get the machine to catch up at the end to upload the recording than it is for a full hour. It does make the edit slower using multi-cam editing. And in my opinion, it makes the final product easier to make because you're able to make those cuts versus doing jump cuts. And 
Have I mentioned before how I hate jump cuts, Stephen? Have uh, I mentioned that? You absolutely have. And that's why every time I'm lazy and go, I'm not going to multicam edit. I'm just going to jump cut. I think of you because I know it'll irritate you. And so sometimes I just add an extra jump cut in just for that purpose. Yeah, yeah I've noticed. <laughs> By the way, StreamYard does remove the uh, the marquee or the name that you put on your screen for the local recording because it literally is the recording of just you. It's not what you're sending and what you're seeing in the multicam uh, look on StreamYard. So it's the bare bones, whatever the camera is seeing. That's all you're getting to record. And then I will say, make sure that you and your guest or your co-host stay on afterwards until you get the full file uploaded. There are occasions where you can come back in and you can upload the file, but if you get off and then you do something like if you get uh, off the call and then you close the browser and you do something like clearing the cache, that's going to delete whatever recording is on your browser. So it's just stay on, make sure the recording is uploaded for everybody. You can go into the recording tab in StreamYard and you can see that come up. And then I've been using Vegas Pro 19 when I'm editing and I know Steven's going to ask this, so I'm just going to lead turn it. I do not have the multicam actual app or the edit mode on. It is just the timeline mode. And as I'm multicam editing, I'm only replacing the spots that I have to in order to make the edit. Mm. I am not choosing somebody talking at any given time. I literally, every time you see the camera go off the group of us, three or four of us talking, and it goes to somebody individually, that's because I'm hiding an audio edit. That's the only reason. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing this because I, I did dabble with that a while back. I, it was actually based off of XSplit, if you, if you remember correctly, that XSplit at one, one point introduced the ability um, to, to put out each scene individually and i think obs is the same way like those are still features and when that happened i, I dabbled with this and i just went no it's, it's too much work i don't feel like doing all this for for my rickety podcast but then the other thing too i think you and i will suffer from is we like to keep all of our project files so this is extra video files that you get to keep so it gets to stack up those gigabytes a lot faster but you know to to credit where credit's due I'm, I can't believe you're doing this. It is a lot of extra work. So congratulations to you on that. And the multicam editor mode that you were just referring to in Vegas 19. Um, I was curious about that because I don't know, actually, now that I think about it, if it is in Vegas 19 or it was only it is. Uh, it is. OK, so there's a special version and I knew it was in the movie studio. I remember when they added it to the old version of Moody movie studio where you could go in and and essentially you play it through live and then you select the different themes, if I remember correctly. But I was wondering whether that would be more difficult than editing on a timeline because of how you are editing on a timeline for audio purposes as well. I feel like you'd be going back and forth a lot. And so I think it probably would be easier to do what you're doing and and just do it in a multi-track editor rather than the multicam function. But I don't know. I I. I prefer myself multi-track editing in the multi-track editor. So that's just where I gravitate to. But maybe other people who are listening prefer the multi-cam editing modes in some of these softwares as well. So I'd love to know what people think about that. But again, credit where credit's due. Congratulations. That is a lot more work and a lot more gigabytes. 
Yeah, and keep in mind, again, it is a shorter show. It is not an hour-long show. It's not an hour-and-a-half-long show. It's 20 minutes is the goal there, 15, 20 minutes, to be honest with you. But we've been uh, cutting off right around 20 minutes. Makes it a lot more tenable Mm. and even just normal editing, right? It's a third of the spot, but that middle two-thirds of a show will take a lot longer to edit, especially in an hour show. So you get to 10 minutes but the 10 to 50 minutes just takes forever. And then the 50 minutes on into the end is, is really easy. And if you shorten that, it makes, it's like exponentially faster. So I'm able to get one of those episodes done with multicam editing in just a couple of hours versus like 12 to 20 hours with uh, an hour long show. So it does make it easier. It still <laughs> means that I'm going to be, quadrupling or quintupling the video files which <laughs> is a lot now it's only 720 so it's not 4k but still it's going to stack up well thanks for telling us all about behind the scenes of your podcast production it's almost like you were giving us a bit of a, a see-through into your production maybe an x-ray of your podcast yeah, X-raying your podcast is something that is available now, actually, Stephen, talking about that. The podcastxray.com and the podcastdetails.com are just two of several new show analyzers that are out there. The only only two that I know about, but there's probably others. And these are analyzers that will give you details of your show. In my opinion, It's mainly made for advertisers and marketers so they can scope out and target podcasts for if they want to put ads on the show, if the show meets their criteria of getting the ads out at certain times, maybe if it's explicit or not, that sort of thing. So let's get into these two because I think they do have uses for hobby podcasters as well. Maybe not what they were intended for, but they do have some users some uses. And the first will go into podcast x-ray. Now it's by bumper and bumper is a podcast marketing experience combined with proprietary analytics software and gives podcasters actionable insights to make smart decisions for their own shows. Their services include podcast growth strategies, audience analytics frameworks, and automated podcast measurement. And if you think that's a lot of marketeer speak, it is, and that is what it is for. Bumper is basically a marketing arm. What this does give you on podcastxray.com, it will show you the title, the author, the language of the show. What kind of a show is it? Is it episodic? Is it seasonal? Is there artwork with the show? What does that look like? The Apple Podcast categories associated with the show. Is there a website and the link to that? The links to the show on different distribution hubs like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, what the email is or how to get it in some cases, if the podcast has known monetization on it, what the RSS feed is, if there is an Apple Mirror URL associated with it, what media host is there, and publishing trends, including how old the show is, the total number of episodes that are available, what is the update frequency, the day of the week posted, we'll come back to that, the heat map of publishing time, which if you're into heat maps, okay, well, I don't know what that good that gets me for publishing time, unless I was trying to target advertising at a certain time of the day, and episode length. 
So the one notable thing for a hobby podcaster out of here, which was pretty telling for me, especially after we've been podcasting for a while, was the day of the week posted. And this gets back to just history of your own show. Like eight years ago, Stephen, do you remember what day of the week Better Podcasting was published on? Uh, Wednesdays, according to this heat map. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or if you scroll up and you look at the timelines, it was Wednesdays back in 2015. So yeah, I thought that was a neat thing to go back in history. I could do the same thing with Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it gives you a sense of where the podcast has been throughout the years. Is that valuable for a brand new podcaster? Probably not, but maybe some of these other things are. So before I move on to the next one, Stephen, is there anything in that list that catches your eye for a hobby podcaster? The other area that I thought was kind of interesting was the duration. And the reason I think the duration is something that could be worth paying attention to is for the whole consistency idea of, of offering something that your audience can expect. So if you're seeing a lot of bouncing up and down and um, it's going to matter whether or not um, your, I guess the, the amount, like on any map, it's going to matter about the actual variance. But I think it's a great way to quickly see how much uh, how much the variance is within your podcast history so that if you are finding that, oh, I was 30 minutes, then I was 60 minutes, then I was 90 minutes, then I was 30 you know, that might be hard for your audience to follow if they're, say, putting you on on their way to work and they go, OK, I know I can listen to better podcasting during my drive and get get it all done. And then all of a sudden you're releasing episodes where it takes to and from work. It, they might be likely to skip it. I think sometimes there's habits that people form on how they listen to podcasts. The other one of these podcast uh, detailers for lack of a better term, is literally podcastdetails.com. It was made by a person, Alex Barreto, not associated with a company that I know. I don't know Alex. I don't know who he works for, but he is listed as the sole runner of this. And it gives uh, the same sort of things in different views. And then there's some stuff that details give that X-Ray doesn't and vice versa. So what details gives you is the podcast length scroll, a... It, the calendar is kind of neat and will give you flashbacks. If you've ever done an SAT or ACT test, it's like in bubble sheet uh, format there. So if you have published one day of the week, it looks like A, B, C, D, you know, what, which option are you choosing on the standardized test? So, you know, just a warning there if that will give you <laughs> some trauma. It gives you episodes, you know, the number of them, if it's in seasons or not, which the uh, podcast X-Ray doesn't do as good of a job, the days of the week, the month, a uh, title word cloud. We'll go back to that. The authors of the show, what hosting services use, if it's explicit or not, the audio size, the audio quality, the audio type. And there is an issue that I have, but let's go back to the title word cloud. And it actually gives words that are associated with the podcast in one of those clouds where you, you know, can look and see in terms of how big the word is, how often it is mentioned, what are the standard words that are mentioned in your entire show. If you're targeting an audience like we are for hobby podcasters, you would hope that hobby podcasting or hobby podcasters or podcasts would be included in that word cloud. 
And for us, it is on Better Podcasting. So it is dependent on what show you have. So you have to put your own show in there. Uh, the big qualm I have about this that I didn't have with Podcast X-Ray is you actually have to search for the RSS feed to put in there to search for all this information. So both Stephen and I would go to Podcast X-Ray, search for the show, get the RSS feed for the show, copy and paste it into this one. Exactly. So, <laughs> it was just like, okay, so you can't, add that on, but knowing that it is one person that I could kind of see it. Anyway, the title word cloud was kind of neat. I think that would be applicable for hobby podcasters just to see what kind of messaging that they've had out there. You know, what is their most mentioned topic or word and uh, make adjustments if you need to. So I did like that from here. Yeah, I, I will say between the two, I think podcast details looks a lot nicer. I think it's prettier, but um, I don't really see much reason to use that over the x-ray. I think x-ray gives some more information that probably would be able to be dissected a little bit better. I just, I think that the podcast x-ray one is a little more comprehensive. So that that's my thoughts on it, but they're, they're both there. You know, it doesn't take you too much longer to check both and see if there's anything there that you see and maybe some variance if there is anything that crosses over. But those are both there if you want to check them out, podcastdetails.com and podcastxray.com. And if you do come on over to our live chat, I posted the link to better podcasting in both. So or you just go do that yourself, search about for yourself. <laughs> and if there is another one that is of use to you and you've used it out there, please let us know and we'll include it in our tool bag as we analyze shows going forward. The next discussion point in ponderings, unfortunately, is a sad one, at least for me, and actually several listeners of the podcast. On Saturday, February 10th, the host of Ignorance Was Bliss, Kate Wallinga, passed away. Uh, she had been having health problems for years. I had the opportunity to step in and help her on a show in late 2022, and things had not really progressed from her. I had a conversation with her online uh, just a few months ago, and we were going back and forth on our, our health and, and how that was at the moment because I was suffering from COVID at the point in time. But uh, sadly, I was not in communication with her towards the end. There is a GoFundMe to help her with her medical fees. It has been healthily uh, donated to we will put the link in our show notes because I know a lot of people in our sphere of influence for better podcasting know Kate, and most of you have already heard about this anyway, but she helped many people, many, many, many people. There were tons and tons of testimonials of her helping people because her podcast was in the mental health space, which is a key space for helping other people within podcasting. She will be sorely missed. And I was fortunate just to know her and be able to help her out. And I don't know what her husband is going to do with the podcast going forward. But if you want to hear some of the amazing interviews and conversations she's had over the years, Ignorance Was Bliss is the podcast name. And uh, like I said, Kate, you will be missed. And the last point that we wanted to talk about before we get into our media host segment this week is all about the poly wave. 
Yes, the polywave is back and I am here to grumble about it because I mentioned this, I think, last week that I'm back on the Mixcast 4, the Tascam Mixcast 4 after being on the Roadcaster Pro 1 for a while just to do a little bit more experimenting and whatnot. And like the Roadcaster Pro 1, it uses polywave files. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the polywave file is, it's basically a wave file that has multiple tracks embedded into it. Now, this is different than, say, some of the other historical uh, multi-track files where they would create one audio file per track. The idea about Polywave is it keeps everything exactly in sync because it is recording all tracks to the same file at the same time, as opposed to the potential theoretical difference, is my understanding, where individual tracks that are saved could be slightly different. We've never encountered that before. But the problem with polywaves is because they're so large due to file size limits, what happens is they end up usually, if you're doing something like us, like an hour or a show recording, they get split into multiple files because a file can only really be so large before there becomes all sorts of file system problems. And so you end up having a bunch of individual polywave files. And so if you want to, say, have that split up to individual tracks, you need to split all of those polywave files into individual tracks and stitch them together so that if I want all parts one through four of my track one, it's all stitched together there in one individual file. So the Mixcast 4 suffers the same problem that I've run into with the Roadcaster Pro 1, where the USB transfer is flaky. I, I've encountered this on both of them across multiple different machines. It's just not consistent. But with the Roadcaster Pro 1, what I could do is take the SD card out and then pop it into my, my computer. And I would use the Roadcaster Pro utility to basically then do that process of splitting it out and then stitching them together. There's a tool in there and and it works good. You just go save podcast and it does that where it'll automatically break out all of the tracks individually and stitch the different parts together. So you end up with different files for every track. Well, that's not possible with the Tascam. You just can't do that. There's there's not a way to do it other than through USB as far as I can see. So I created a workaround last week and I just wanted to share it on here with everybody. And it's not easy, but it's it's a lot better than dealing with the USB headaches. And the summary is that I found out DaVinci Resolve will read PolyWave files just fine. So I copy the files through the SD card onto my computer, load them up into DaVinci Resolve, which then if I select all those individual parts and put them into my timeline, it will put them back to back. So now they are all as in the order they're supposed to be back to back. And then I have saved a custom export profile, which will save it as a WAV file, only doing my first track, because usually I only need to grab my individual mic track for that file. I don't keep all the other tracks. That's not something I do. I only keep my individual track because SP sends me his individual local track. And I, as long as that's all worked, I don't keep my side of the recordings because I've got a clean track from him. So I just saved a profile that will automatically export just track one. And so now that'll just be the round trip I'll do. Pull the files into the DaVinci Resolve, hit save, have my file all stitched together nicely. It is a little bit more work. Time-wise, it's about the same though, because I think it's probably slightly faster than what I was experienced through the Roadcaster app doing the, the export and stitch. So net time about the same, but a little bit more uh, of manual effort involved. And again, I hate Polywave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
let me ask you this for qualification, Stephen. When you take the file off the SD card from the recorder, are you reaching the SD card through the USB connection to the Tascam or, or, or excuse, yeah, Tascam XCAS, or are you physically removing the SD card from the MixCast and putting it into your computer? Physical, like I was doing on the Roadcaster Pro 1. I just found the USBs were slow, um, flaky. Sometimes they would not work great. That's just been my experience with both of them. And again, before someone wants to say it's my machine, I literally tried it on multiple machines and they had the same thing. So it's just, I think the size of the file, maybe the technology at the time, I don't know. But I grabbed the SD card out and that's what I, it's been my habit for years. So I don't really think much about it anymore. Yeah, even before I got the Roadcaster Pro 2, I was using the Zoom H6 here in the studio. There was no connection to the computer via USB. I physically had to take the SD card out every time and transfer files with that. That's not the case anymore. I mean, if I was to use a, a modern H6 with 32-bit float, I'd be able to reach the file, I think, through the USB, but that is not how I did it for years, so... It's not that big of a deal, but it is an extra pain that now that I have a Roadcaster <laughs> Pro 2, it's, I just reach into the device and I copy the file over. It does take a little bit, but I don't think it takes that much more time than a card reader. And I don't know if that's because there's a USB 3 connection going to the Roadcaster Pro 2 or if that's just how fast the files move on my computer. I don't know, but it's what I do now. Um, Polywave was one of the main reasons that I didn't buy any of those mixers, <laughs> the Rodecaster Pro 2 or the Mixcast, or I believe even Zoom, right? The the L8 and L12, did they, they did no, Polywave? Or? No, they didn't. They were individual okay. tracks, yeah, which okay. is how I liked it. <laughs> but there were other reasons why I didn't buy them. So that was one of the main, other reasons mainly included the preamps because I didn't, I want to be able to drive a microphone like the Shure SM7B, <laughs> as we talked about last episode. And I wanted to do it well for my quiet voice. Again, I have a quiet voice and I need a great preamp. And the Rodecast Pro 2 has a great preamp. Rodecast Pro 2 has its issues as well. Just putting it out there. I have had issues with it over the past and I continue to have sporadic issues with it. We'll get into that in a future episode. But yep. Yeah. That I completely understand your polywave hate and I never <laughs> wanted to deal with it. So we're going to get into the media host segment, but look out for the better podnerings next week, where we'll talk a little bit about some IAB statistics updates. All right. It's the media host segment. This is lots of fun. If you didn't catch this, we're back with another episode of the recurring segment that's going to happen for this season of Better Podcasting, where we're looking at different media hosts as we get off of Libsyn eventually, and we're going to talk about our experiences as we try different ones. So this week we're doing Pinecast. Pinecast is one that we have a bit of experience with. To recap that, we've used Pinecast for a Better Podcasting live chat. I've also used it to store some of the more recent media in the last few years of the Gunna Geek Show. And also, SP has been using it for better podcasting chats with SP. So we have a bit of experience with Pinecast, but we want to give it its fair shakedown in this segment. So we know we've talked a little bit about Pinecast in the past on this show because of that experience. But 
Today, we're going to look through it really from the lens of 2024. So we want to look at it from a fair angle as we're looking at the rest of them. So let's start off here a little bit and get into the history of Pinecast. Since it came on the scene, it's felt like Pinecast has taken a bit of a unique approach to podcast media hosting. From the beginning, it's appeared, at least to us, that they had the target customer base of people looking for a basic media hosting service at the core, while also providing the ability to house multiple podcasts under one monthly flat fee. When the service began, these capabilities were not as common as they are today, and that led to some early critiques as the business strategy felt different than many others who were charging per podcast show. The standard, which is called a starter plan, monthly fee offers some straightforward features that might be enough for some hobby podcasters, but for others, they may desire more features. These additional features are available for the large part, for an additional monthly fee, a fee which is account-based and not show-based. Well, for many of them anyway. As far as we can remember, it does seem that Pinecast has taken the active approach to allow people to customize their plan to the features they need. This means that for some users, Pinecast will be a great deal, and for other users, might not be so much of a deal. We'll come back to this issue later. In general, though, the more shows you have, the better deal you'll find with Pinecast. As we continue through this review, like we did last week, we're going to move past Pinecast's free plan in the context of the conversation and be referring to the base paid plan called Starter Plan. Once again, we feel it would be more reflective of a trial account as the free plan carries a limit of only 10 most recent episodes per podcast show is made available. But to Pinecast's credit, that plan can have two podcasts on the free account. That's pretty unique. But yeah, we just think for most people, the free won't be an option. So when Pinecast came on the scene, they did turn some heads because they offered pretty affordable hosting at the time, with a series of features that suited many podcasts. Over the years, we have seen some features added to Pinecast, including some that are still marked as beta. But in recent years, it has seemed like overall, it hasn't moved past those original features that we had seen added. The other thing is they haven't added some of the features that have been desired by some podcasters, for example. Although Pinecast says they follow the IAB guidelines, they don't actually have IAB certification. This is something that came onto the scene a few years ago that definitely became sort of a, a standard of podcast media hosting. At this point, it feels relevant, though, for us to mention that we do know that Pinecast is solely or at least primarily owned by one individual named Matt. And in the early days of Pinecast, he did make this pretty well known that he was the owner of Pinecast. And and why we say this is because we haven't seen anything since then to indicate there's been any ownership change. So as far as we know, it is still owned solely or primarily by one individual. Now, why do we mention this right now? Well, getting back to that IAB certified stats point there, if you haven't heard, the process of IAB certification is a big one. It's costly. It's time intrusive, apparently. And a lot of the media hosts that have gone through this have talked about this, how it is a, a heavy lift. 
And apparently it's going to be even heavier going forward, but that's an, a point beside this. If Pinecast is solely or primarily operated by just one person, you can be begin to sort of understand why this might not be a feasible process for them or even particularly desirable to try to go through the certification process, especially if your current business strategy without IAB certified statistics is working. Now, whatever the reason is, it does mean that podcast stats are not IIB certified, which is something that a podcaster might require. Maybe not, though, but it is at least a consideration that some podcasters might have. We also wanted to mention this ownership point, though, because over the years, we felt there has been a bit of a sense of personal touch with the Pinecast service. In the early days of Pinecast, the owner, Matt, was really active in various podcast communities. And also in our limited experience with some help with the service, it's been pretty fairly personal service. And to his credit, the experience we had was reasonable to get the, to the solutions solved in the couple of times that we reached out. But it, it is worth noting that if a large issue comes up, there is potentially limited resources available to tackle and respond to whatever that issue is. For example, when there was an RSS feed issue a while ago, the overall patch was reasonably assessed, but the response didn't come until closer to when the patch was rolled out. Presumably, we weren't the only ones that reached out. And anytime you have limited staff, there will be times that comes up that you have to prioritize where your time goes, and that could potentially impact service levels. But also being fair, let's be honest, we've seen ghosting and customer service for larger companies with multiple support staffs too, both inside and outside podcast services. So with all that said, we do think that there is a type of hobby podcaster that would find Pinecast the right fit for them. But there might be others that don't. So Stephen, let's get into some of the specifics here. All right, let's kick off some of the highlights talking about the earliest experience or one of the earliest experiences that we've had with Pinecast, which is the import wizard. Full disclosure, years ago, Pinecast did set us up with a bit of a demo example about um, the import wizard specifically. They wanted us to give it a try. And so we gave it a try and we went through it and we had a look and overall no complaints. And it still remains that way. It seems like it works pretty well and we didn't see anything like data import limits or anything like that because Pinecast doesn't really have limits that would apply in this sense. We'll come back to that a little bit later. And it works. So that's really all you need to know. The other thing that we want to mention is all about that second part, the upload limitation, because they do actually have sort of a novel idea about how the upload limits will work. And it probably will work pretty well for a lot of podcasters. They incorporate an overage amount to allow a little bit of flexibility in addition to the specific limit that they set. And the way that they have this all set up is a little confusing at first, but we're going to do our best to try to explain it. Essentially, the way it works is where the limit lands on the starter plan is based off of the upload size, the amount of megabytes it is. They say that you can have an 80 megabyte per episode limit, and that's where they put their restrictions in. But where that overage comes into place is that they have what's called a surge pool. So the idea is you upload 80 megabytes. And if you're uploading a file beyond that, it's going to come out of this extra amount that they give you called a surge pool, which is across each individual podcast that you have on there. The surge pool itself 
is 80 megabytes on a 30-day cycle. And that's a 30-day rolling basis as well. So if, say, for example, you uploaded a 100 megabyte file today, that means you're using 20 megabytes of your surge pool. And that 20 megabytes will roll off in 30 days from today. When you're uploading the file, it will tell you the amount of maximum size for an individual file based off of the restriction limit of 80 megabytes and the amount remaining in your search pool. It says on there, you can upload a maximum file of X amount of megabytes. So for example, if you were to go in today and upload yourself a 160 megabyte file, you're gonna take all of that surge pool and the next time you upload, it's gonna say you can upload a maximum of 80 megabytes. But if you haven't used that surge pool, it's gonna say you can upload a maximum of 160 megabytes because you got the 80 plus the 80, sorry, the 80 base plus the 80 in the surge pool. So I hope that kind of makes sense. If it doesn't, let us know, we'll send you some links. But the summary of this is they, it seems they're trying to target keeping people to 80 megabytes per file uploaded, but they do wanna give you a little bit of leeway if you do have an oddity where you're gonna go a little higher, or maybe you're consistently going a little bit higher than that. So say you're you know, doing four episodes a month and you're doing them at 90 megabytes each, you still got that buffer. So that does seem like they wanna give a little bit of flexibility, but also you know, don't wanna be taken advantage of either. The easiest that I can say on this is that if you podcast weekly, if you, podcast four episodes a month you can go up to 105 megabytes per episode if you podcast weekly and there happens to be five weeks during that period you can only go 100 megabytes and then you'd stay underneath the standard if you are regularly uploading larger files you can pay for an add-on and it's a 15 dollars a month add-on called the hi-fi plan and you can have episodes up to 256 megabytes for that plan. Again, that's $15 extra on top of their starter plan that you can pay for. So if you're only paying for the starter plan and the hi-fi plan, that would be $25 a month. But it also increases your surge pool to 256 megabytes as well, which is works the same as the 80 megabytes. Admittedly, this is a mixed bag. But it does have some limits with the normal industry standards, and it's arguably better than how some other podcast media hosts actually work. There's really no download limits, so it doesn't matter how much your podcast has been downloaded under these plans. Although I have heard Matt say in the past that it would be reasonable to charge somebody extra if they had like a mega hit. Like if you had Joe Rogan on Pinecast, then it probably wouldn't be the standard plan with him. And there is in the terms and conditions something about commercial podcasts as well. Also, there's no monthly upload limits. You can have multiple RSS feeds. Yeah, I said it, multiple RSS feeds. So multiple podcast shows in one account, but there is still a limit of the upload per file. Again, they allow some grace if you go over that. We've personally had situations before with other podcast media hosts where we've had to wait for a specific cutoff date because we were needing to make the calendar roll over another in order to 
increase our standard back to the full amount where we could upload an episode. But when considering that Pinecast is balancing the features of unlimited shows with also implementing caps to prevent abuse, it does seem like an overall net win, especially when you consider many podcasters would upload sub 80 megabyte files on daily shows. We've hardly had to dig into our surge pool really when it comes down to it. And if you do a mono 96 bit show, you can get almost close to an hour and a half to two hours and stay underneath that 80 megabit line. So if you do a daily show that's underneath an hour and a half, you're doing pretty good with Pinecast. All right, let's roll into some of the other highlights that we thought Pinecast has. Uh, number one, the features. They have a good amount of features for even just on the base starter plan. For example, all plans have all the unlimited things that SP just mentioned, but they also have the ability to create a podcast website. We'll come back to that. Uh, they have the ability to have private and paid episodes. They have shareable podcast short links. And they also have, if you are somebody who wants this, uh, no service fees on their tip jar. And the tip jar is basically where people can donate money through Pinecast to you. So, hey, we're not about money, but we said we mentioned it when it comes up. Also, another thing that I think is worth noting is some of the features. It does seem like there's a little bit of inclining to uh, innovate. And so an example of that is they have built-in review monitoring in there. You would have to pay extra for that through the growth add-on. But we haven't given this a good shakedown, so we can't speak to how detailed it is. But it's kind of neat that there's a possibility is there that you could have review monitoring all in one spot with your media host. And then they also have and had, have had for a while the automatic transcriptions available, but you do have to purchase these on a credits basis. There's a whole bunch of way that the credits breaks down. Essentially, each transcript credit costs three cents and are sold in units of 60. So it's a paid service, but for some, it might be something they're interested in. I know this isn't better ponderings, but it's worth pondering. Is it really relevant? It's the way things are going with the Apple transcriptions. But this feature has been around for a while. So credit where credit's due. It is something that Pinecast has had. And another big benefit is one that SP just loves. It's all about the file. They mostly don't mess with your file unless you want them to. We'll come back to that later. Why do I say mostly? Well, the thing that they change about the file, the one thing that they change about the file is they rename the file when you upload it and they don't change anything else. They don't re-encode it. They don't change the ID3 tags. Nothing about the contents has changed. They just changed the name of the file. This is something that we brought up before. And in the past, we were told that there was a technical reason why the name helps with some of the features of Pinecast itself. To us, we really don't need to know the why about it. What we care about is that it makes it a little harder to migrate away later, and it makes a weird URL for others who see it. And also, if you download the file, it looks like a bunch of gibberish numbers and letters and stuff like that. And you're like, what is this file? Did, did I download a virus or is it the actual <laughs> podcast, right? But we recognize many podcasters won't care at all about this. So the fact that they don't mess with the file contents itself would probably be the overall win here with messing with the file. And if that wasn't a big enough win uh, related to this, where we say 
it mostly won't mess with your file is they ask to mess with your file about the ID3 tags. If you upload a file that doesn't have ID3 tags in it, it will prompt you. It will tell you that there's no ID3 tags in there and it will give you the option to enter the information in there. Now, neither of us have really used that feature, but it has saved my bacon. I've uploaded files before, forgot to put the ID3 tags in there. It pops up. But for me, I'd like to have the local copy on my computer edited with the tags. So I go in this when this happens. I go into my ID3 tag editor, fix it, and then re-upload it. But hey, for a lot of podcasters, that would be probably a great feature for them to have so that they didn't have to do it externally because they're probably not as um, specific as you and I are for keeping it on our local machines. Right. I, I have gone into well, my ID3 tagger has a bunch of ID3 tags that are just not the norm for podcasting that I use some of them. And I just know that no normal service would have them. All right. And the next thing we want to mention in the highlights, Ice Ice Baby. Come on, get that in your head. You know you want to. Uh, this is about the Icebox. They call this feature the Icebox. And you've heard SP over the year talk very passionately about the idea of what happens if you're going to shut down your show. You should think about this in regard to your media host. He brings up very good points all the time about if you end your show now, what's going to happen with your media host and your files? Are you going to just let them go away and, and stop paying? Or are you going to want to leave them up for others to consume down the road? And if so, how much is it going to cost you? Is it a service you're getting into where you'll be able to back off a little bit? Or is it something you're going to keep paying full price? Well, Pinecast has the icebox where for $2 a month billed annually, you can just basically make your account a read-only type service. You lose a bunch of features, but your media is still up there for consumption. So if all of a sudden you do only have one podcast that you want to just um, on your account and you want to just put it on the icebox, you can go ahead and pay this and reduce the amount of fee that you are paying. Now, worth noting that some people like SP and I are grandfathered to the $5 a month plan. So it'd be really hard to say, I want to give up that grandfathered plan to back off for a net savings of $3. But for new users signing up, they're paying $10 a month for the starter plan. So that would be quite the savings for them if this fit them. So good on them for thinking that there's going to be users out there who are going to not need to be using the service anymore other than serving existing data. I want to take a little short tangent here and say this reason of a lower cost is the reason why a lot of podcasts disappear forever. And I guarantee you, most of them, or at least a good percentage of them, at some point in time in the near future, say two, five, seven years in the future, are like, oh, I would really like to still have that available, whether it's for resume work or just want it available for download or whatever. In the last couple of months, I personally saved two podcasts that had stopped uploading in 2017 that the owner thought were gone forever. And I think I have the last remaining files of those podcasts ever as of a few weeks ago. We've duplicated them. We've backed them up. We made sure that they are still uh, there so that the owner can use them however the owner wants to use them. But if the owner had the use of an icebox-like feature or reduced plan, then I think those podcasts would still be available today. So that's what I'm talking about, that sort of thing. And uh, no, I don't have every single podcast in the world back up. I just <laughs> happen to have these two. Sure, sure. The last thing we wanted to mention before we go into the neutral section, the destinations and integration. We're talking about 
distribution locations. The long story short, they have the key ones we want. The short story long, they have 12 different locations, eight are an integrated submission process, and four require some manual submission on the podcaster part. And we think it's of note that they also used to have an integration with Headliner. Although this direct integration has been sunset, there's still a link in every episode to head over to the Headliner app. So that makes it a little bit easier for podcasters. And it's good to know that they at least think about this aspect. We will have a link to the help article in the show notes. All right, let's kick off the neutral section by getting back to the question of affordability. As we mentioned at the beginning, depending on the features that you need, there's a real potential for a spread in opinion on the question of affordability for Pinecast. Because with the base price tag, the starter plan for 10 bucks US a month, you're getting a basic set of features, including basic stats, unlimited shows on the account, and an upload limit that would fit the need of many shows. But on the other hand, there's additional add-ons available, which are such as the Pro Analytics for $10 a month, a crew add-on, which is sharing the access to your show to other people for $10 a month, you have a hi-fi option, which is increased upload limits for $15 a month. And you also have a possibility of what's called the growth add-on. If you start to stack up these features, it potentially leads to a large monthly bill. But if you have multiple shows quickly, that large monthly bill gets divided amongst those different shows. If you're comparing Pinecast to a service where you have to pay per show, so this really means it depends on your use and your need of features, which is why we would give Pinecast a two and a half out of five for affordability. And this is specifically meant to be in the middle because it's not unaffordable depending on your use. It's also not super affordable depending on your use as well. So really the two and a half just means your mileage may vary because it really could go either side of the line here. Yeah, some pod, hobby podcasters will want some of these features, some do not. I mean, depending on what you need, this could definitely be a five either way. And for comparison's sake, I will do a monthly comparison of what I pay for each month on Libsyn to give you an idea of what kind of savings or extra money would be available. Right now, I host Better Podcasting. I pay for the hosting there. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., Longbox Edition, Voices of Defiance, and Starling Tribune, all on Libsyn. Starling Tribune, Voices of Defiance, and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., Longbox Edition are all on the Icebox feature over on Libsyn with $5 a month plan. And the other two are at the $20 a month plan. This means I'm paying $58 a month with taxes a month on Libsyn. And by the way, Libsyn did not, and we talked about this before, say that taxes were going to be starting to charge on their, their fees. I've never seen mention of it. It just appeared one month. I was like, okay, it is there. So on Pinecast, I am being charged $5 a month, and that is the grandfathered fee. However, if I was just going to be a new user on Pinecast, let's just take it at $10 a month, and I put all those five shows over there. That's $10 a month versus 58. But wait, if I wanted the pro analytics, because I'm not really happy 100% with the Pinecast analytics, okay, I will go $20 a month. 
I might even throw in $10 a month for the growth option just to get review monitoring and not use another service out there. So that's 30 bucks for those five shows that I'm currently paying $58 a month on Libsyn and getting all the features that I want out of it. So it would save me 28 bucks, about $30 a month by doing that on five shows. And if I add another show, and another show, and another show, and another show, and another show. I'm still only spending 30 bucks. Where at Lipson, I would be, that's five shows, by the way, <laughs> I would be paying up to $100 extra. So $158 versus $30. So yeah, there is a savings involved depending on how many shows that you have. That's a good breakdown. Thanks for that. The next thing that we want to mention is a quick one. At the moment, there's no official dynamic audio insertion. This might be something you're looking for, but... Hey, it is apparently in beta, so you can reach out and maybe beta test it. We did find an article about that, but officially it's not there yet out of the box. So we'll say that that's a neutral. And the last neutral we should mention is the limited ownership as far as we know. We've already spoken about this, but we thought we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it from the perspective of a neutral about the potential future of the company. When a company is owned by one or just a few people, there's inherently more potential risk to the company. Now, we're not saying that a big company always carries less risk than a small company. As we've mentioned, there can be benefits to both. Uh, the reality is there are more unknowns with the smaller ownership. For example, what happens in the situation if a solo owner becomes incapacitated for some reason, even for a short period of time? I know that's going to sound terrible to say, but it is something to consider. And we're not trying to be rude here at all. But if we don't understand the ownership of Pinecast, Pinecast, please reach out to us and we will reconsider the review on this. Uh, I, I'm thinking it's just Matt at the moment. And Matt, you're doing great work as far as we're concerned. But there, there is potential risk there. I'll give you an example that's not Pinecast, another podcast media host company, Captivate. It was owned by just a few people, Marth, Mark Asquith, Danny Brown, potentially some others. I'm not really sure who owned it. It was bought out by Global. And we hope to talk about Captivate in a future episode to give our thoughts on Captivate itself. But for now, just know that this is sort of an event, an arrangement that can change for a company like Pondcast if the time and the deal is right, as I am sure it was for Captivate. So things can change with a company that is only owned by one or a few people. All right, so let's get into the shortcomings and kick it all off with something that is near and dear to Stargate Pioneer. Okay, he goes by SP now, but it rhymed, so I wanted to say it. It's the stats. This is SP's favorite thing, and it's the fact that the basic stats really just leave a lot to be desired for uh, people who do want to get into the stats. For Pinecast, it is just the total downloads per episode. And at first I was like, oh, I'm only getting the total downloads per episode. No, actually, you get a little bit more than that. Inside the episode analytics itself, you can see a timeline of the downloads and grab a CSV file of these numbers. So you can get all the downloads for the pine for the podcast on Pinecast uh, for the length of the show that it's been available. Unfortunately, you cannot see that same information combined 
with all the shows without using the Pro Analytics add-on. So while you can assemble those statistics on your own, it would take a lot of work to create and then a lot of work to maintain that view because those numbers change over time. That said, it might even be better per episode download stats than what is available with Podbean, which we discussed last week. Although we're running through Pine Podbean's stats, it does have location download sources and overall daily listeners available, which is not available on Pinecast. But fortunately, this is not the only Pinecast option. There is the Pro Analytics add-on, so you can get more. But at the starter level, I kind of think they fail depending on what you really need. Now, we went back and forth on how we would really rate this with the statistics. Is it a pass? Is it a fail? I think there's merits to both both of them. In the end, the fact that it's basic stats on there, um, as well as they're no, not IAB certified, means that it is in the shortcomings column. We, we can say that. It's just the two things combined. Put it here. Now, yes. You can get those other ones, but they're not included without paying more money. So let us know what's your thoughts about that. Is, is the basic numbers all you really care about um, for your podcast? Some people might be. Now, the next shortcoming we want to mention is all about visual appeal. Now, while the interface is definitely usable from the podcaster dashboard perspective, and arguably it's probably easier to navigate than some of the other media hosts out there, it just feels a little bit dated and it also feels like it might be geared towards somebody a little bit more technically inclined and the modern hobby podcaster might not be. So it works. It's fine, but it does feel like there's room for improvement there. And this is sort of seen as well with the mobile interface. If you open it up on a mobile website, it works. It's fine. It just isn't a dedicated mobile experience that you get with a, uh, a site that has put effort into the mobile experience. Usually a mobile experience is different than a desktop experience because a mobile experience does require some different considerations from a design perspective. It's not to say that the mobile experience doesn't work. It just feels a little bit dated. Now, with that said, we should note the main Pinecast website did just undergo a major overhaul. It was just recently redone. There was a blog post about it. Now, could this possibly be an indication of work to come on the dashboard? I don't know. Now, neither of us are really wild about the new Pinecast homepage look, so kind of hope that's not reflective of what might be in the dashboard. But also, SP and I both are old. We're old fuddy-duddies. We're not hip. So maybe, maybe we're out to lunch on this, but I think it's at least worth note that on the new website, it's hard to find the pricing and the way that the plans break down, you kind of got to go a bit hunting. So I think that's worth a note there that the new design, it's not easy to see those couple of features. And as far as the podcast itself, I often have to resort to giving out the short link, which is not really short, but the short link for the episode, because it is the best presentation that I'm able to get with the website options that I've chosen for the show that I have. So for what it's worth, the episode short link is the URL to use, but it's one of the longest URLs that you get out of an episode. So we'll tack on to this visual talk and, and jump into the websites. Like I just said, Pinecast does offer websites, which are five themed options for its users. But in our opinion, they're not very good looking either. 
To Pinecast credit, they do have some customization options, including some settings that we've seen on modern WordPress interfaces. Out of the box, they aren't pretty, and we don't recognize a modern hobby podcaster may want to work out of the box. So I guess we'll check yes for the fact that they have websites, but maybe no for visual appeal. And the last thing we want to mention in this section here, and hopefully this won't be a trend as we continue through our reviews here, video. There's just, once again, no real good video support. Well, there's no real video support that we could see for Pinecast. Per their help guide, quote, Pinecast does not currently support video podcasts. We recommend using YouTube in conjunction with your audio podcast to provide video. After publishing an episode on Pinecast, the episode dashboard for your newly uploaded episode will have a link to Headliner. This is a great tool for creating videos from your audio, which are optimized for upload to services like YouTube, end quote. So basically, they don't do video because that Headliner integration isn't really there anymore other than just a, a link over to the app. So video is definitely a no-go if you are looking for that. For what it's worth right now, I kind of agree with the process here, headliner notwithstanding, of using YouTube, but that's for another discussion at another time. Uh, I think a lot of podcasters would want that option to do RSS integration with places like uh, YouTube, and they just don't offer that. So in the meantime, that takes us to the end of our shortcomings. Overall, Pinecast is going to work for some, and it's also going to fall short for others. With a business model that allows several different add-on options, it seems like there's a variance that's built into their service. There are so many variables that individual podcasters look for, but we think if you're a podcaster with a few shows, but looking for multiple features that are found across multiple add-ons, you might find the price adds up too fast for you. On the flip side, if you're a podcaster that doesn't need a lot of the features, but prioritizes having multiple podcasts, you might find it's a phenomenal deal for what you get. I guess the best way for us to put this is to go back to where we started. We both have active shows on our accounts and we have no desire to move them off at the moment, but we also have shows that aren't on Pinecast as well. If you have experience with Pinecast, please let us know. You can come on over to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord or find all of our contacts information at betterpodcasting.com slash contact. And if you know anything different, as we always are going to say, probably every single episode that we do this, if you know anything different than what we said, let us know because we're happy to do a follow-up later. Let's get into the Better Pod back. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. We're only going to talk about one today, and it was the one that SP mentioned. It's all about Bandrew and the follow-up to the SM7B talk last week. So take it away, SP. I want to see you sweat and live through this. Yeah. Bandrew just waltzed into our Discord sometime, and he said... I'm really looking forward to the season of podcast host discussions. I also laughed out loud on the latest episode when SP was talking about the 7B and 320, and he said, oh no. Great work, gents. 
Uh, Bandrew also reiterated, just heard the conclusion to that topic. I would never rub SP's face into it. Everyone has their own journey with mics and audio, and preferences change as you record more and try out different options. I'm just glad that SP found a mic that he likes and that fits his use case because that is all that matters. It doesn't matter whether it's an RE320, SN7B, BP40, or even the Blue Yeti. Ugh, you made me say that, Bandrew which we all know is secretly his favorite mic that he just uses just out of frame every video. <laughs> you made me read that. And uh, Chris Farrell said, my Yeti is in the background for every podcast, <laughs> which is true. His Yeti is in the background. Also, it's true that he doesn't use it anymore. So Bander, yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. As I said last time, the, the 320 still has some benefits to it. I think with me, the 320 fit my podcast experience up until when I got the Roadcaster Pro 2. That changed things, and it took the sale on the 7B last year. So it's been a two-year process to move me off the uh, 320. I still might use it from time to time, depending on, uh, like, if I if I have, like, tooth surgery or something like that, <laughs> I'm not easily, <laughs> as easily understood. I might go to the 320 just because I know it has clarity on it or something like that. I have it. It's available. But yeah, I, I will agree that the overall sound for this is as long as I can drive. And, and Bandrew, if I ever see you in person, you will understand how softly I talk and that this is a major issue for me and that it took a clean amplifier preamp in the Rodecaster Pro 2 to make this work. So it, it was years in the making, but I'm glad it actually happened because in comparing the audio just in that one week, again, I will say, oh, no, oh, no. You're back to the SM7B this week, right? Yeah, it's it's right here. I, I, I literally took it off the pole after we ended the last episode, and I will raise it right now so it's in the shot, and hopefully you won't hear any of the noise as I'm moving it. But uh, yeah, sure, SM7B. So there you go. And hey, if you would like SP to start using a Blue Yeti, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> that's going to take us to the end of the show. Thanks to everybody who watched the live stream, everybody who checked this show out afterwards, and anybody who is listening to us on the new moon base, because that's what I'm going to call the new thing that landed on the moon this past week. It's a new moon base. So thank you for listening to us over on the moon. Thank you very much, everybody. We are still looking for your feedback on Podcast Media Hosts. How have you liked our two reviews that we've done so far with Podbean and Pinecast? How do you like our criteria? What Podcast Media Host provider do you want us to look into? Let us know. Get a hold of us on our Discord server or email us at podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We would really like to hear from you on this. We know it is a lightning topic. We know that there are tons of posts on it on any podcasting community. So we know you have opinions. We want to hear them so that we can service you and do a review of the ones that are the main ones or the most interesting ones as we go forward. And again, we are looking to move better podcasting off of Libsyn to a new service, hopefully by the end of 2024. So for episode number 286 of Better Podcasting, I'm Steven saying, Andrew, where's his red SM7B? And I'm SP saying, Andrew, it was a pleasure to talk to you and I hope to see you again real soon. Bye.
Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.